Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We are only a few weeks away from World Cup qualification, a window that's going to determine the destiny for this U.S. men's national team, whether or not we make it to uh, Qatar in 2022 or not. But that's not the only huge story in U.S. soccer. We're definitely going to get to that. But first, first I want to talk about something that I, I think is, is an absolutely huge deal within the world of U.S. soccer, sort of. And that's, that's Christian Pulisic over at Chelsea. Since the day that he set foot at Chelsea Football Club, Christian Pulisic has been the subject of transfer rumors and uncertainty and just all kinds of rumors and speculation. Part of that due to his injury history, part of that due to some lapses in form, and part of that due to some times where his form was absolutely unbelievable. But today, today things have changed dramatically. Chelsea has become a part of one of the most interesting stories in all of world football that I can recall in my time uh, watching the sport. It has been announced that Roman Abramovich has been sanctioned and all of his assets, including Chelsea Football Club, have been frozen. Now, what does that mean uh, for Chelsea Football Club? That means that the club can continue to operate as a football club, essentially doing essential things like uh, playing games, like coming, like showing up to games, paying players, paying staff. But they're not going to be able to make money as a club and they're not going to be able to spend money as a club. And that means no more new signings, no more signing players who are out of contact currently uh, no more selling players players who were out on loan but all this stuff has been thrown into uh, just absolute confusion so why is this happening it, I think the the most condensed way that I can possibly say it is that the British government do not want proceeds from the sale of Chelsea or any type of uh, money coming in from Chelsea Football Club to be redirected to the war effort for Russia uh, and that is the fear and I, I I'm not the guy to give you a lesson in Russia Russian politics, and there's much better uh, information out there. I know TIFO Football put together a fantastic video on why Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea. Uh, but essentially, if you are an oligarch in, in Russia at the moment, you are serving at the behest of uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, and there is a lot of evidence linking money from the oligarchs to Vladimir Putin going both ways. Uh, so there is a lot of fear that Roman Abramovich's sell of Chelsea could lead directly to uh, funding the war in Russia. Uh, and, and that is something that, that the British government does not want to take part in at all. And that is completely understandable. But what this means in the meantime is that the future of Chelsea Football Club, the future of the club being one of the top teams in world football, the future of all the players is just completely in doubt. This feels like a fairly unprecedented situation. This feels like a club that's been relegated, but is still at the top of its of its league. Chelsea, I think, is number two in the table right now and is still one of the favorites in the Champions League at the moment. But it feels like a club that's been relegated. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what shakes out, uh, particularly for the players at Chelsea, uh, like uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, for instance, who are uh, not under contract next year. What's going to happen with him now that Chelsea cannot sign uh, or sell players. Uh, it, it is very scary and very um, uh, cautious times over in West London, uh, but particularly for our interests, our interests are Christian Pulisic. Football might be over, but MLS is coming back and Champions League and European soccer are in full swing. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE to get started. 
started. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage, from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play all your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. And of course, since Christian Pulisic arrived at Chelsea, there's been rumors about him leaving, about potentially going to other places to, to find playing time. And for the longest time, I've always sort of dismissed those rumors because. While it's true that Christian needs minutes and that he wants to play and, and all of these things are true, yes, I've always felt that Christian, like a lot of these players who are at the top of the of the world's game that are Americans, they're different type of human beings. you got to understand Christian Pulisic is a guy that at 15, 16 years old decided to leave the United States to go to Borussia Dortmund uh, for an opportunity to play European football. This was at a time where no Americans were doing anything like this. No Americans had risen to that peak in world soccer up to that point. Christian opted to do it, and he opted to do it at a club that had just participated in the uh, UEFA Champions League final that at the time was one of the best clubs in all of world soccer that at the time had players like um, Yang and Lewandowski and Iklai Gundogan, um, uh, Royce, uh, just this, uh, an incredible roster of players that have gone on to uh, just do about everything you possibly can in European soccer. That's the locker room that Christian walked into whenever he was 16 years old. And he didn't get intimidated by that. A year later, he was on the pitch. A year later, he was he was forcing players like Andreas Scherler uh, out of the picture at Borussia Dortmund. That's the kind of mindset that this kid had. The, the kind of mindset that at 20 years old decided that he was going to go test the waters over at Chelsea Football Club. A club known for uh, demanding greatness only accepting excellence and kicking you out if you aren't up to that bar. He showed up to that club, and he achieved that level pretty quickly. I mean, you got to remember, whenever Chelsea, whenever Christian arrived at Chelsea, this is a Chelsea club that had Frank Lampard as a manager, and they were going through this youth movement. Uh, they had players uh, like Mason Mount, uh, Reese James, uh, Hudson Adoy, um, uh, Tammy Abraham as the striker, and they were celebrating sort of this youth thing. But what happened at Chelsea is what always happens at Chelsea. If you don't make the grade, I don't care if you're a youth player that's come up through the ranks your whole life or not, uh, Chelsea will ship you right out. And that's what they did with Tammy Abraham and a few other players. They just plain are out of the picture. Just to make the point that if you're not making the grade at Chelsea Football Club, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, they're going to get rid of you. Uh, Christian Pulisic started in that moment, and he was able to survive through that. And then the following summer, what did Chelsea do? They do what they always do. They went out and they spent money. They brought in some big-name players. They brought in Kai Havertz. They brought in uh, Timo Werner. Later on, they brought in Lukaku. They brought in Ziyech. Uh, a murderer's row of players that play Christian's position. And what has Christian done throughout that? He has remained. He's remained steadfast. And he has uh, overcome to the point where he's now, if he's not the starter on the at the club in that position, uh, he is one of the main players in that rotation. He's just kind of built, everybody says built differently now, but mentally that guy is just built differently. He is 
looking for challenges and he is not looking for the easy way out ever. And that's why I didn't think that it was likely that Christian was going to leave Chelsea because there's not really greener pastures than Chelsea at the moment in world football. Uh, sure, there are other great teams out there, Man City, PSG, Real Madrid. Uh, there, there are other great teams out there, but it's not like there's teams that are significantly better than Chelsea that exist in world soccer. Remember, he won the, the, uh, the, the, the UEFA Champions League with Chelsea. This is a team that can compete for that. This is a team that can compete for the Premier League year in, year out. And, and there's just not many better destinations than Chelsea in world soccer. And I never expected Christian to leave and go to a lesser team or even to make a lateral move just for playing time. He always seemed like the type that would stick it out and, and fight and, and prove that he deserved to be there because that's just been his character and who he is his whole life. He's always been a player that's walked into situations where the odds were against him, and he said, screw that. I'm going to show you. I'm going to demand through my play that I be on the pitch, and he's he's been doing that throughout his career. But now, now the dynamics have completely changed. Now the future of Chelsea Football Club is completely uncertain. Sure, there might be an owner that comes in and purchases the club for before the end of the year, but is that owner going to be willing to do what Roman Abramovich was willing to do to make the club relevant uh, at the highest level of world football? Roman Abramovich, I think he loaned a billion dollars over his 19 years to the club. In the last season, he o he loaned $100 million to the club. Uh, it's, so what that means is, you know, we know Chelsea Football Club makes a ton of money around the world through merchandise sales and everything else. On top of that, he loaned an extra $100 million. That's what it takes to make the club relevant at the top of world football. How many owners out there are going to be willing to do that? How many, you know, the, the American businessman owner gets a lot of flack out there um, in Europe for owning clubs and treating it like a business and not spending more than they make. How many people are going to be willing to come in? It seems like the only people willing to do that would be like, oligarchs and, you know, the oil state people and people like that. Is that what Chelsea wants? I don't think Chelsea's going to go that direction considering what's happening currently. But anyway, that's, that's global politics. That's a whole other discussion. The question is, at this point, what happens with Chelsea? And what happens with Christian Pulisic? Already, uh, they're, they're the sharks are kind of circling the blood in the water. I saw a report that Juventus is interested in a handful of players, including Christian Pulisic. There's going to be other clubs interested in kind of scooping up what they can from Chelsea while they're while they're weakened in this state. It's going to be really fascinating to see what happens at the end of the season, and especially these storylines with, like, Thomas Tuchel left PSG because he didn't want to deal with the politics at PSG, and he gets put into, quite simply, the most interesting political club situation in the last 50 years or so, maybe ever, in world soccer. What's Thomas Tuchel's future with the club? What's Lukaku's future with the club? A player who already expressed that he's uh, upset in a lot of different areas and now it seems to have lost his starting spot to Kai Havertz. What's going to happen there? I have a feeling there's going to be a ton of unrest. There's going to be a ton of just awkward locker room moments at that club. I mean, think about it. If, if this was your place of work, if this is where you uh, did business, would you not be talking? Would you not be trying to figure out other plans? Would you not be trying to get out? Uh, I have a feeling that's what the, what's, what's going to be happening with Chelsea for the end of the season. And that means uh, for, for players with a lot of value like Christian Pulisic, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Now, where would I like to see him go? I said before, Christian's at the top level of world soccer right now, so I would like him to maintain that. If Chelsea's not going to be the top level of world soccer anymore, maybe it is a, a, a time for a lateral move. And, and personally, 
boy, I'd like to see him stay in the Premier League. I think it's so important that Christian is at a, at a playing for a club that speaks English because it opens up so much information for uh, the United States as an English-speaking nation. We get access to all the YouTube, cha- all the Chelsea YouTube channels, all the Chelsea rumors, all the blog sites, everything. Everything is stuff that we can read, as opposed to you know the players playing in France or the players playing in Italy. We don't. We kind of have to get translated. That the players playing in German. You know, we have to get uh, information translated uh, in order to understand what's really going on at the club. Uh, playing in the Premier League offers that. So, boy, would it be interesting to see a, a Christian Pulisic playing at Manchester United or Manchester City or, or something like that? That would be absolutely fascinating. Now, the the rumor out there is Juventus is interested in Christian Pulisic. That was a rumor prior to all this going down. Uh, there was the rumors beforehand about Bayern Munich as a possible uh, destination for Christian Pulisic. Either way, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see what happens with uh, with Chelsea throughout the end of the season. Uh, not just with Christian Pulisic's situation, but the Champions League is ongoing. Uh, the the All the player situations are, are ongoing. This... Um, Roman Abramovich situation is ongoing. I think all of this stuff is unprecedented in world soccer, and it's just going to be absolutely fascinating to watch to see how it all plays out. So I want to switch gears now and really dive into World Cup qualifying. I think there's some reasons to be optimistic and some reasons to be pessimistic, and and I think we need to jump into that right now. In a couple of weeks, the majority of our U.S. men's national team players will be taking the field for three games that will be, up to this point, the most important games of their lives. These will be the games that determine whether or not the U.S. men's national national team is able to make it to the 2022 World Cup. Now, the big question on everybody's minds is, can the U.S. do what they need to do to qualify for the World Cup? Let's kind of look at it. Uh, The U.S. has Mexico away first. They have Panama at home, and then they have Costa Rica away. What do they need to do? Well, just about everybody agrees that the first thing they need to do is beat Panama. If you beat Panama, it puts everything back on the table. If you beat Panama and you get some other results to go your way, that's going to be enough to qualify. If those results don't go your way, it's looking like the U.S. is going to need to find another point somewhere. So it looks like for the at the very least, the U.S. needs three points, and real, realistically, we want to try to get four points. Now... This is tough. This is tough for a number of reasons, and, and there's a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. And I think, first of all, a, a lot of fans have been disillusioned by the way the U.S. has played throughout World Cup qualifying uh, up till now. And to make matters worse, these are three of the strongest teams in CONCACAF that we're going to have to be up against. So there are some reasons to be pessimistic. Uh, I think, number one, you look at the injuries that the U.S. is facing. Uh, Weston McKinney's out. Weston McKinney has been our best player throughout World Cup qualifying. He's been the best player, in, most informed player in Europe. Uh, he's been absolutely fantastic in these last few windows for the World Cup. We're going to be without him. That is a major blow in a position where the U.S. does not have a tremendous amount of depth. Uh, so it is it is going to be very worrisome that we're going to have to be starting some players that don't have a ton of minutes. Uh, players maybe like Luca Della Torre, players like Jean-Luc Abusio don't have a ton of minutes. Uh, with the other players around them. Uh, That's scary. The other scary thing is heading into this Mexico game, Tyler Adams will have a yellow card. That means Greg Berhalter has to decide, do you risk playing Tyler Adams in that Mexico game where he could potentially pick up a yellow card and be absent for that all-important game against Panama? Or do you not start Tyler Adams, and then you have your miss, you have a midfield that's missing both McKinney and Tyler Adams? This is a very very scary decision. Uh, I've kind of been on the side where he should sit uh, Adams in that first game because the game against Panama is too important. Uh, but it, it's going to be a very interesting and very tough decision that Greg Berhalter is going to have to face. The injuries do not end there. 
the keepers, our top two keepers, the keepers who have get, received just about all the minutes throughout World Cup qualifying, Zach Steffen and Matt Turner are both out with injuries, and their return is, is uncertain for both of them. I thought that Zach Steffen would be back relatively quickly. It hasn't looked like that. Will the U.S. be starting a teenager in Gabby Slonina? That is kind of a scary situation. To start a teenager uh, in their first World Cup qualifier away in Mexico, that's not something that whenever we drew things up is really a situation that we wanted to be in. Or you bring in Ethan Horvath, a player that while he's had a a nice stretch of games, uh, which is not something you could say about Ethan Horvath for a long time throughout his career, uh, he hasn't played much in the last few years. Uh, He might be coming into this World Cup qualifier with like I don't know six games having started uh, this year. That's that's not something you want to see. Or it could be Sean Johnson, uh, which you know he's a fine MLS keeper. Is he the guy that we want in this situation? Uh, maybe he can get the job done. Who knows? That's a scary situation. Uh, Gio Reyna continues to be a question mark. Gio is an absolute game changer. If healthy, he's absolutely one of the best players in this pool. But he hasn't been healthy. What's going to happen with Gio Reyna remains to be a question mark. Uh, and the last one is Chris Richards. Chris Richards is a guy who I thought was going to be a part of this uh, World Cup qualifying window, but has an injury that's seeing him miss time. So that's just another player that the U.S. Is, could potentially be without that's going to stretch um, That's going to stretch the reserves for the U.S. men's national team in that window. These are scary things. Combined with that, the second reason why this window is going to be incredibly scary for the U.S. men's national team is... The form for the national team in away games. Uh, Frankly, the U.S. has been good at home and has been terrible away. Uh, We have not seen the form that we've seen at home away for the U.S. men's national team for a variety of reasons, and that's very scary. Now let's compound that with the fact that the two away games that we're going to have are going to be at the Azteca uh, in Mexico City and going to be away to Costa Rica, two locations where the U.S. historically have been god-awful, have just never been able to get results. So ask this team that has struggled away for most of qualifying to go into locations where historically no U.S. men's national team has ever done well to get a result is a scary, scary thing. However, I'm not that pessimistic going into this. I'm, I'm actually fairly optimistic. I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this window and to, to feel like the boys can get it done. Uh, and, and the first one is going to be the home form. I mentioned that the away form for the U.S. Men's National Team has been dismal. In fact, in my video, uh, my beef with Greg Berhalter, I kind of went over uh, the differences between the home form and the away form and my, my issues with Greg Berhalter for not really, even though we knew what away games in CONCACAF were going to be like, we didn't really have a plan that seems sufficient enough to deal with the things that we've run into away in CONCACAF. Now, that being said, these away games are going to be very different. Uh, One of the main reasons why away games in CONCACAF have been such a struggle for the U.S. is because we've been facing low blocks and facing teams that are trying to struggle for a result, facing teams that are having a lot of negative tactics. In this particular window, I don't know if we're going to run into that. First of all, we're playing Mexico away, and Mexico is always aggressive. Uh, Mexico is a team that, while they might not mathematically need to get three points from the U.S. uh, in this game, I think emotionally they need to get these three points from the U.S. They've lost to the U.S. three times in a row. Their fan base is going absolutely crazy. Uh, there's calls for Tata Martino's job. Mexico needs to come out and get a win, and, and hopefully uh, for the Mexican fans, a decisive win at home against the U.S., and that means they're going to be stretched and they're going to be open, and that plays right into the strengths of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we've seen throughout qualifying that whenever the U.S. is on uh, um, a, a quality pitch, which they'll have in Azteca, uh, and, and against an opposition that's a bit stretched, 
that's where the team is is strongest. That's where the team's mobile midfield and the athletes all over the field and, and the players who are so dynamic in the transition game are able to open up and really go at the opposition. That will be in play against Mexico. That was not really in play against Canada. That was not, you know, most of these CONCACAF teams have not opened themselves up to the counterattacking game from the U.S., that will be in play for the U.S., which which is just a weapon that, that the U.S. hasn't been able to use and I, I think will be a tremendous asset in this game away um, in the Azteca. And the same can be said for Costa Rica. Whenever we head to Costa Rica, Costa Rica will be playing for their World Cup lives. They will be coming out at us. They will be throwing everything that they can at us, which will open Costa Rica to counterattacks. And, and I think that that's where the U.S. will be able to thrive, and I think that that's a, that's a tremendous asset heading into these games. And, and the last reason why I think think uh, we should be optimistic is the U.S. has been absolutely tremendous at home. Uh, the form at home, uh, save from that Canada game where we got the, the draw against Canada, uh, has been fantastic, especially recently. In, in the recent games, uh, the U.S. is absolutely... Uh, I don't want to use the word dominated, but has absolutely controlled the games. So I'm optimistic that that will continue whenever the U.S. faces Panama in in Orlando. While Panama is a tough side, I think the U.S. does have the quality that's going to be able to break them down and create chances, especially a Panama that's going to be guns a-blazing trying to get three points, a Panama that's going to be playing for their World Cup lives. I think that's going to play very much into the hands of the U.S., and that's something that's going to be, uh, that can be said for all three of these games in this window. And for those reasons... I, I think I'm a little excited about this window and, and, and potentially what can happen. And then then my last thing, I know I said the last one was the last one, but here's the last one. Christian Pulisic is playing lights out right now. Christian Pulisic is in that kind of form where he can absolutely take over a game where he can by himself uh, just create things and, and just make things happen uh, that, that few other players in CONCACAF can replicate. Uh, he's in that world beater form at the moment, and that is just the perfect time uh, for, for the U.S. as we head into these three all-important World Cup qualifiers. So for those reasons, I, I think that the U.S. actually uh, has a little bit more of a chance than I, I think a lot of us are giving them credit for. Uh, heading into this window. If you look at this Mexican national team, I know the U.S. has a bunch of injuries and there's, there's, it's, it's a worrisome game to look at on paper, especially considering the history of the Mexican national team, the history of Azteca. But realistically... This Mexican national team is, is only getting older, and, and it's it, it hasn't really shown up in qualifying the, the 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 vaunted scary Mexican national team. It is it's a Mexican national team that's there for the taking, and and we'll probably do a breakdown of the Mexican uh, of the USA versus Mexico game ahead of that. But guys like Hector Herrera are, are only getting older. Guys like uh, Guardado, uh, guy player like um like Raúl Jiménez. He hasn't quite been the same striker since he returned from injury, and it's it's just creating a lot of issues for Mexico. They're still trying to figure out who the fulcrum of their attack is. They're still trying to kind of figure out an offensive identity. They're still trying to score goals. They're still trying to figure out their defense. They've got they still got. 36-year-old players throughout the lineup, it's, it's still going to be a struggle for them, and they still got to play 90 minutes against against a lot of very young, very fast, very athletic U.S. men's national team players, and that really uh, feeds into the hands of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, so there is there is a lot of optimism there. I am curious, though, what are you guys' kind of thoughts about this? What are the things that you're worried about heading into this window? Uh, what do you think about Greg Berhalter's tactics heading into this? What do you think, just all the storylines that are, have led up to this and converged in this? 
conference. And if the U.S. is able to uh, maintain, if they're able to to win the games necessary to uh, to qualify for the World Cup, kind of what then? How do you reset? What do you think is going to be the uh, strategy for the rest of World Cup qualifying? I don't want to talk about what happens if the U.S. doesn't qualify. I don't even want to put that out there as as a as a thing that could happen. Well, if that happens, we'll deal with that whenever it comes. But as of right now, I just want to think about in terms of uh, when the U.S. does qualify. What do you think happens then? Do you think that we revisit players like uh, like John Brooks? Do you think that Joe Scally gets brought in? Maybe a Jonathan Gomez? Do you think um, the 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 do you think the roster kind of swells? Do you think that guys like Sebastian Lejet and Christian Roldan maybe get uh, phased out and they were just there for uh, World Cup qualifying? Do you, what do you think kind of happens uh, after this World Cup qualifying window? What are you afraid of? What, what are you worried about heading into this window? Let me know in the comment section. Hopefully we can uh, kind of be our own therapists and 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 reassure each other and, and hold each other's hands as we walk towards uh, this final World Cup qualifying window. Thank you so much for watching. If you're new here, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. If you want to support the channel, you can become a member. If you really want to support the channel, you can be like Manuel Alivetes and Mike Irish and become a tier two member and get a shout out in the videos. If you want these videos in podcast form, the Yank Report podcast is available to you everywhere you can find podcasts. As always, si puede hablar español, dígame un comentario en español. Thank you guys so much for watching. My name is Sam and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.